virtue on Wednesday has to move and uh, we all know that's a great job. So for a lady to do it on her own is not a real good job at all. So if there's any blokes that are, would like to be able to help or have the time off on Wednesday, could they come and see me after the uh, service and I'll uh, put you in contact or give you the details about that. The other thing is child uh, mentoring is something we've been doing with Clinton State School for five years. I think this is our sixth year. I was counting the kids I've been with over the, the other days. So I think it was five. It's a program where one mentor, Exhibit A, goes to Clinton School to spend one hour a week with a child and that's called um, kids mentoring. So what do you do at kids mentoring? Well, you can do whatever you want or whatever the child wants, more importantly. Not last year, the year before, every Tuesday afternoon I was cooking. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> Although I think he was more interested in the ingredients than actually the cooking, but that's okay. So every week I had to think up of something to, to be able to put together, cook and to sample within an hour. That's not as easy as I thought it would be. So that's the basic. What they do, they have um, children who, you know how we, there, are, there are children in schools that have problems for whatever reason and they get all sorts of resources. They get, you know, they go to here on this session and they get there, they get helpers in the classroom. They all get everything. Well, what we're aiming, what we're looking at now is those that are above that level, they haven't been diagnosed with whatever, but they are in the middle, bottom of the middle group who are possible that they're going to lag behind in their schoolwork. So uh, we get these children to help them, to encourage them, and if you want to know what a difference it makes in the child's life and their schoolwork, talk to my wife. She had a couple of these mentors when she was teaching and it really does make a difference in their life. So uh, if you'd like to commit one hour a week to help a child at Clinton, please come and see me after the service and we'll take it from there. How are we going? You're back, so they must all be ready. Okay. Would you like to open your Bibles or turn your whatevers on to Colossians chapter 3? Going the wrong way. No. Colossians chapter 3. Just a clue for those young people that are doing the sheet. Each of the slides may have the answer to the question on the sheet. There's a pretty good chance, okay? So just pay attention to each slide. And follow them through. I guess if you miss the first one, you're going to be all wrong for the rest of them. Okay, Colossians 3, chapter 12, down to 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think if we sort of got that into our brains and we lost this and we lost church, we'd do all right. It's a bit like the two greatest commandments, isn't it? We would know that we are God's elect, so that's got to make you feel good. And we put all these other big words into place. In other words, we love each other, forgiving each other. Get together, sing and teach each other. That's it, isn't it? We could do it. It says in verse 13, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Why would we have a complaint against another? Because we've been offended or offended, offended if you're the Queen. We've been watching the Queen, the thing, so I'm getting a new language. It's because we've been offended. I had to look up offence or offended because everybody gets offended these, these days. And I'm thinking, obviously, the meaning's changed. But it hasn't. As far as I know, offended, resentful or annoyed, typically as a result of a perceived insult. That's what we perceive. You know, I've heard of places where someone will go into a coffee shop at Christmas time and they're singing Christmas carols and they get offended. No, you don't. You just don't like Christmas carols. I mean, I've been in places and I don't like the music. I don't like the music. I don't get offended. So my title this morning is Don't Get Offended. I hope I haven't offended anybody yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. We can gather together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. That help us to get an understanding as we read your scriptures, we look at your scriptures, that as James says, we would be doers of them and not just hearers. Father, we know that uh, offence can come easily, but help us to learn and to be like what the writer says in Colossians, that we would not take on offence, that we would forgive, we would love, and we would be understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year was 2017, correct? For me, it started off, I bought Harley. It's not a Harley, it's a Honda that I call Harley, just so I don't upset Mark, because he's one of those Harley people. But he, he, still, he still talks to me, actually. That's nice, so he's not really a Harley person. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> 
So I, I, bought, I bought Harley, and then um, what happened after that? Oh, that's right. The cute little guy over there. No, not you, Tom, the little one. The cute little guy over there, that's our first grandson, so he popped along. And then we went on a trip to Europe. That was sort of one of those lifelong things you never thought you'd do, but you got the opportunity. So that's pretty good. Unfortunately for me, underlying all these... Oh, and I also had one of those mega birthdays, you know, you get every 10 years. And uh, thankfully, uh, I'll go with my son-in-law, who thinks I'm 10 years younger than I am. So he gets on in the family. So I had one of those as well. And because I was having one of those back in 2016, I was starting to plan some things that I'd like to do. Some of those things that you'll stretch yourself and uh, it was sort of physical type things. And ladies, if your husband says, I'm going to walk the Appalachian Trail, if you've seen the movie, which I wasn't, don't ask him why because he doesn't know. He just goes, because the major difference between male and female. Females need to have a reason for every minute detail thing in their lives. Men want to change the world, but they don't know why. They just want to. They don't have to have a reason, okay? So remember that, ladies. That'll help you. So I had a few of these things planned. Um, at the end of 2016, I was sort of reasonably fit, nowhere near as fit as Steve-O, but nobody is. And so I was sort of keen to do these things to test me out. I mean, I've got a bit older and I want to do these things before I get too old. Then the end of 2016, I got sort of a bit tired and I thought, oh, this is, oh well. And that dragged into 2017 and Thought I lost a bit of interest and wasn't really doing much. So I had one thing that made me tired. Then I decided well, one's not enough. Why not have two? Why not go for three things that make you tired and fatigued? That's really good. So I didn't do any of those things that I wanted to do because I wasn't able to. So at the end of... Uh, 2017, it was like I'd walked half, you know, waist deep, an Olympic pool dragging two buckets. And if you've ever dragged something in water, you get there, but it would have been a whole lot easier without the buckets, only to find that when I drag myself out of 2017, I flop into the Olympic pool that's called 2018. I'm still dragging some buckets. So after 12 months or so of feeling like this, you get sort of a bit disappointed that you weren't able to do things you wanted to do. You see your friends doing those things that you wanted to do, so that makes you miserable. And I know none of you believe any of this because I'm a pastor and I'm superhuman and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all those types of things. So you all think I'm lying now, don't you? Well, you can think that and I won't get offended. <laughs> so it sort of went from the end of 2016 to being feeling fairly active, being reasonably fit for, for my age, to feeling like an old man who can't do much at all. And then a couple of weeks ago, 
friend of mine, we were chatting, and they said, Mel, you're getting fat. That's why I've got the nice little black number on this morning, because apparently it makes you look slim, tall, and terrific. Happy is the man who is not easily offended. And even happier are the people around him. At that point, I had to make a choice. To be offended or not to be offended? This is the question, church. There are only two ways you can be offended. Someone says or does something not meaning to offend, but it does. Or someone says or does something with every intention of offending you. But our reaction, if we read the word of God, regardless of the reason, our reaction should be love and forgiveness, not offence. If our ultimate goal as Christians is to live in harmony with one another so that we can be effective for God and grow in Christ, then we have no time to spare by being offended. Getting offended is simply counterproductive to our cause and it can literally destroy us and destroy our faith. So this morning I want to look at two examples. One, what happens if we take on offence? And two, what happens if we don't? Exodus chapter 4, where Jeff went this morning. And I think Jeff was just doing an example of the, uh, our, our, one of our um, news items there about needing someone to operate the uh, computer. You may have noticed that Jeff is, Jeff is coming and going quite quickly, doing a great job, because he's the only one there. There should be two people there. <laughs> but that's why we need extra people. So chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, and this is where Moses goes to Egypt. He catches up with his brother. They have a chat, and they talk to the leaders of Israel, and Moses said, God has told me I'm going to lead you people out of this slavery and out of Egypt. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord, the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. That was the stick thing that Jeff was talking about. So the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped and they were all happy. We're leaving Egypt. We're no longer going to be slaves. Moses goes and tells Pharaoh the same thing. Oh, really? Are you? You want to go to the desert for three days? You're obviously idle and lazy. I'm no longer going to give you straw to make bricks. You've got to find that yourself. But I want you to still make the same, kind of brick, same amount of bricks. And I'm going to get those that are over you to treat you even harsher. Oh, What? Good on you, Moses. What happened? They got, not a trick question, 
they got offended because Moses had put them into this situation. Verse 21 says, And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge. This is the people talking about Moses, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. That's one chapter from when they were all excited, bowed their heads and worshipped. They've been upset. When you get upset, you get offended. So let's look at the progression. They finally get to leave. They're sitting there looking at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is coming after them. And they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Funny, I thought they were keen about going, but anyway. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to sh we should die in the wilderness. Right. We have a major miracle. They cross the Red Sea. They all get across. All Pharaoh's army gets drowned. And a little while later they come to a place called Mara, which is a water hole, but the water's not real good. And what do they say? They say, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? That big black letter there could be a clue for one of the questions on the sheet. See, Moses has done it again. He's messed up and he's left us with nothing to drink. A little while later in Exodus chapter 16, the whole congregation of Israel of the children of Israel complained against Moses. A great um, illustration of being offended. They complained against Moses in the wilderness and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly without hunger. Again. He started it back, over, back in Egypt when he said everything was going to be good and it wasn't and it hasn't been good since. Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Just like you've done in the past, Moses. You're killing us. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with, with thirst? To progression. They've been offended once, they haven't dealt with it. So Moses doesn't change, he's a rat bag. Whatever he does. Notice that they're blinded to what is really happening around them. They've seen amazing miracles. And yet, they're complaining and whinging. 
In Exodus 10, 1 and 2, this is the result. And the Lord said to Moses, go in... Oh, hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. He's done all these mighty things among them, but they can't see past Moses and what he said, and it's gone bad. Offended is resentful or annoyed typically as a result of a perceived insult. Offence will blind our perception of the reality of our situation. I'll say that again. Offence will blind our perception of the reality of our situation. I've got this theory that we're born with a pair of glasses. And as we get older, things like offence or good things will dark, or, or what, however we look at things, will either make those glasses darker or they'll keep them light so that we can see with a clear eyes. And when we get offended like the people of Israel got offended in Egypt, every time something happens, they look through those glasses. Yep, that's Moses. Remember what he did back in Egypt? They haven't seen the water separating so they can go through a sea. They haven't seen God providing food, providing water, looking after them, keeping them safe. They can only see through their dark glasses that Moses is a mongrel and they've been offended. And offence piles up on offence. And look where it ended. In the book of Numbers... Chapter 14, Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So the offences got that far and built up that much. They want to get rid of Moses. What does Moses do? He gets offended. No, he doesn't. He goes to the Lord and paraphrase, Lord, I know they're a bunch of mongrels, but they are your people and you love them. Let's not wipe them out just yet. Down to verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice because they were too blinded by their offence. I said that, that's not actually in here. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. But my servant Caleb, and further down it mentions um, Joshua, 
Because he was a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. A whole generation was lost in the wilderness because they got offended in Egypt sometime before and every time Moses did, did what God had instructed him to do and things didn't go how they wanted them to do, they built up their offence and they didn't go into the promised land. The Bible says there was something like over 600,000 men left Egypt. That does not include the women or the children. And at this time, I think God said every, every person over 20 will not see the promised land. That's an awful lot of people from one offence back in Egypt. Being offended will lead to bitterness. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone shall fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Does that sound a bit like a group of people in a desert? They became bitter. They couldn't see past the glasses of offence that they had on to all the things that were happening and they perished in that wilderness. Offence can be passed down to generations. I've been with children... And I think, how can you be so bitter at your age? You're only that big. You haven't lived long enough to be that bitter. Where do they get it from? Their parents' offence. It's something that's happened we don't know how long before. You've heard the, the saying, the chip on, you know, they've got a real chip on their shoulder. You know, every, everything's... Ugh. And whatever you do, it doesn't matter. It's no good because they've got, it's been bred into them somehow. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 19. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of a city. For there is not... There is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Very basically, if someone offends you, just have a think for a moment. Have I ever offended anybody else? whether intentionally or non-intentionally. I'm guessing you have. So how would you like to be treated when you've not intentionally offended somebody? If you're like me, I think you'd like to be forgiven and move on. So it's rather sobering that that many people perished in the wilderness because of, I'm putting it today, that it's offence. 
they became bitter and missed everything that was going on around them. Acts chapter 9. We'll move into the opposite. This is what happens when we don't take offence. Again, the big black letters might have some clue to one of those things on the children's piece of paper. Acts chapter 9, I'm sure many of you would know this is where Saul gets converted, has an amazing conversion, encounter with God on the side of the road on his way to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So, we tre- so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What was Saul doing going to Damascus? He was spitting chips. He was going to get these Christians. He was going to stop this stupid Christianity business. He'd been doing it in Jerusalem and he got permission to go to Damascus to do a, knock a few more heads off. I'll put an end to this Christianity. And he has this amazing encounter with Jesus on the side of the road. He goes into Damascus and the Lord says to a man called Ananias, hey, I want you to go around the corner and uh, visit Saul. Excuse me? I think if you're like me, I'd be an excuse me too. Obviously Ananias knows what this guy's up to. You want me to go around and see that guy that's come to kill me and the others in the church? Yep. And I guess it's a good thing that Ananias did that. He went around and Saul was that excited, he immediately began, he, 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 had, he couldn't see. Ananias prayed, his eyes were opened. I guess even his offended glasses had fallen off. And he had new ones. And he began immediately to preach the gospel that Jesus was the Son of God. So Saul, of course, he wants to catch up with all the disciples in Jerusalem. Yes! That's a good thing, isn't it? If you're Saul. I'm not sure whether the Disciples would have been so excited about it. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. Enter a man called Barnabas. When I was leg up last year with my broken hip, I watched a TV show called AD, Kingdom and Empire, I don't know whether anyone's seen it, very loosely um, uh, taken from Acts. It was good television, but maybe not so accurate in uh, um, all the scriptures, but it was good entertainment. But I had a chuckle the day they did about chapter 9, where Saul gets converted and then goes to Jerusalem. And so Saul is all excited about seeing these disciples and Barnabas is sort of, hey, let's just you know, slow up a bit because I'm not real sure whether they want to see you but we'll, we'll see how it goes. And so they get to Jerusalem, they get to the house 
The disciples are all up in an upper room and, and Barnabas says, look, you, you just stay down here on the street and I'll go up and tell them, sort of ease you into the thing. And so Barnabas starts walking up the steps and Saul's right behind him. He's keen. And No, 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 no. How about you stay, go back down on the street and... Saul was just so excited about being one of these new Christians and meeting the, the disciples. And they weren't so keen. But they accepted him. They had every right to be offended. They had every right to not want to see this guy. He not only killed people in Jerusalem, he was on his way to Damascus to kill even more and, and just beat them up and do all these horrible things. And yet they took him in. And it says in verse 21, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And the church of Jesus Christ is still multiplying today. In the Old Testament, a whole generation perished in the wilderness because of offence. In the book of Acts in our New Testament, the disciples didn't take on offence. They accepted this man as he was. And the church of Jesus Christ grows and here we are 2,000 some odd years later and it's still growing. When something is said or done to offend us, not anyone else has a choice. It's just you, whether you take it on or leave it. As I was... It's yours, steve just under your chair. You might want to roll it back. <laughs> Terry, that yours? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got this whirring around in my head thinking how to put it together this message and in my daily readings I read Matthew chapter 15 now I'm thinking I'm going to use Jesus of course as the greatest example of not taking on offence and I read chapter 15 and part of it says he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, as he often did. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, those people draw near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, and their heart is far from me, and in their vein they worship me, teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. That's nice, isn't it? If you go over to chapter 23... He calls these same scribes and Pharisees fools and blind a number of times, about four. He calls them hypocrites seven times and finishes with serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? <laughs> well, that's nice, isn't it? Well, that's going to fit in my sermon real good. Here's Jesus going around offending everybody he can find. Or well, no, not everybody. The thing is here, is he offending them? 
No, because you can't offend someone. You can say something and they can get offended, but you can't offend them. It's up to me whether I get offended or not from what you say. But he's telling the truth about these people and what they're like. He's trying to wake them up to what they're like. See, the thing is, me being fat is true. And it sort of comes from over 12 months of thinking that every meal is your last meal, so you eat a lot and you don't do any exercise. And I got it confirmed the other week at the hospital, not that I really needed it to be confirmed. I was up at the hospital and they had to weigh me, so I'm the heaviest I've ever been. And I've also shrunk, apparently. I'm not as tall as I used to be. So, I've worked out the balloon factor. What happens when you get a balloon and you squash it? It's got to come out somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so I'm not fat, I'm just being squashed. But like me, the scribes and the Pharisees, we all have a choice to be offended or change. But sometimes we get told the truth and we can take offence at that. James says in one, that's not Pastor James, that's the guy that wrote the book James. James chapter 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, no matter how offence comes, whether intended or not, there is only one way to... Oh, hang on. <laughs> I better stop with the scripture. That was my bit. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Stop. I've added, no matter how the offence comes, whether intended or not, there is only one way to deal with it. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. What was that word? Forgiving one another. I guess if someone keeps giving you things to be offended about, that could be long-suffering. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a plaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. And that's what it always comes back to, doesn't it? Have a look at yourself. You've been forgiven by Christ. And time and time again he says, as I have forgiven you, forgive others. Psalm 119 and verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. The King James Version says, and nothing shall offend them. Because if they get offended, they will stumble. We can be assured of one thing. If we take hold of and hold on to offence, it will become a stumbling block to our faith and to those around us. I'm not sure how many people here would know uh, Mel Rose Holloway. Hands up. One. Oh, my daughter's not here. That's, she does, so that's one, two, three of us. No one else know Mel Holloway? No. 
That's okay. Mel Holloway was born on the 5th of April 1937 and passed away on the 26th of April 2015. Just a warning here, the pastor is about to get teary, okay? Mel was one of those ladies who a group of people is why I'm standing here this morning. And I'm already getting teary and I haven't even started reading. <laughs> this is Mel's, what do you call these things? The thing for her funeral? The whatever they Order of service, thank you. Co-worlds are onto it. Order of service. Now, Mel wrote her life story out, which was 33 hand pages written. But I'm not going to read all those this morning, okay? I'm just going to read a couple of things at the end. So in here, there was a few things that I learned about this lovely lady. And you know, as life went, Again, that lovely word, right. I've got to look that up too because I think that's changed over time. I have a right to something. Some of the things that happened in her life, she definitely had a right to be offended and to be grumpy at the world. And I'll read from here. Mel worked a couple of part-time jobs, but it can be... It can be said that her true purpose in life was simply living for other people. It was not enough to say she was a lovely lady. Mel was so much more than that. Mum had exceptional listening skills. She made everyone she ever came across feel valued. Mum could remember even the smallest of details about other people, especially their problems, in a nice way. Her sense of humour was unquenchable. Even as she was dying, she still managed to make us laugh. Mel loved to make people laugh, whether it would be a story, a quick remark or acting up. Mostly the stories were at her own expense or ours. I've often sat and listened to one of Mel's stories about something that terrible happened in her life and ended up in tears. Not of grief, not of sadness, but just laughing that much of the way she would tell the story of, you know, leukemias and breast cancers and other things that have happened in life and you would just laugh and laugh at the way she would tell the story. A wife, mother, mother-in-law, grandmother, great-grandmother, adopted son, mother of son, auntie, cousin and friend to so many. Mel Rose Holloway attracted people to her. She was kind, caring, gentle and always making the other person feel better for having spent time with her. You can't do that if you're offended. Because if you're offended, after a while people won't want to be hanging around with you. You won't attract people to not only yourself but to Jesus. As I said, Mel was my second mum. There was only one person that was really better than her. That was my mum. <laughs> but they were on a par. She was the loveliest lady, one of the loveliest ladies I've ever had the pleasure and honour to know. As I said, she had every right to be bitter, to be offended, to be angry at life. But no, 
she wasn't. She was the most happiest person I've probably ever met. I want to be a Merle Holloway Christian. Not there yet, but I'm working on it. Could I have the music team, please? See, that word right, I have a right to be offended, I have a a right to this, I have a right to that. As I said, Merle had every right to be a bitter, miserable person for what life had given her. But she chose not to. She chose to be a wonderful Christian lady. And I guess you're all wondering what was my response to being told that I was fat. Well, I just laughed and said, no, I'm just wearing a big shirt. That is so much easier than getting offended. Happy. Oh, where'd we go? I've got to go all the way through because there's one more for the kids. Yeah. Happy is the man who is not easily offended and even happier are the people around him. And ladies, I'm going to include that in you. It's not just us men who have to not get offended. Happy is the man who is not easily offended and even happier are the people around him. Let's make the people around us happy, whether that's here, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, wherever we are, for the sole purpose of drawing those people closer to Jesus. Will you stand with me this morning, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and as we read your word we, we quite often see things that would go against our human nature. That when people offend us or hurt us that our natural reaction is that we would want to retaliate, to be offended, to be angry and yet your word tells us to do the opposite. Your word tells us to reflect your love to those people. To remember that, as Ecclesiastes says, none of us are perfect and we've all upset somebody at some stage. We need to forgive and to love, to accept others around us that we meet daily. Father, this sometimes can be hard. But we thank you that you're with us in all that we do. You never leave us or forsake us. I pray if there's any this morning that would be feeling like that, that through your Holy Spirit you would minister to them, you would set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, team.